If you would like to know how to cut comedy, then today's guest is going to be just perfect for you. His name is Russell Griffin, and he is the editor of How I Met Your Father, which is broadcasting on Hulu. And he tells us, he shares some incredible wisdom. It's a really, really good interview. He's a lovely, lovely bloke, and we got on really, really well. He shares his tips on how to find the funny and how to cut away, find reaction shots, his process. Um, and we also talk about the industry as a whole and how it's changed, um, as well as some very uh, sitcom-specific uh, editing tips, tricks, and techniques. So without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Hello, Russell Griffin. Welcome to the Video Editing Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Shani. It's really a pleasure to be able to join you and talk some editing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm really looking forward to today. Um, it's been really great getting to know you a little bit before this conversation, before this yes. uh, recording started. Um, really looking forward to today. Uh, we're going to cover some bits about your journey. Um, you are... Um, an ACE accredited editor, and uh, you are the editor of How I Met Your Father. Yes, yes. I'm currently the uh, editor in season two of How I Met Your Father and uh, a member of American Cinema Editors, which is the honor society within the, um, the industry out here. Yeah. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about your journey to begin with, how you got to where you are, and then we can talk a bit more about the show and editing, um, because it is a, it's a sitcom. Uh, is that fair to say? Absolutely. Would, would it be more a comedy show? It's a traditional sitcom, and specifically within the, within the industry, we call it a multi-camera sitcom, which is the, if you think of the, you know, Friends or I Love Lucy, it's where it's a sitcom in front of an audience, uh, usually three walls and some other sets and stuff. But that's sort of what I specialize in in terms of editing. Brilliant. And uh, so tell me a little bit more about the beginning of your journey, um, that led you to this point? Uh, did sure. you study at film school? Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Sure, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, just going back to when I was a kid and uh, I was always interested in film and interested in telling stories. Uh, and whenever I was going to undergraduate, the closest I could get to finding a film school was doing advertising and working in commercials. So I did that for undergraduate and then uh, realized that's really what I wanted to do. So I went off to get my master's degree in film school and thought I was going to be a director and thought I really wanted to do, you know, a certain kind of filmmaking and uh, didn't really know how to get there. But as I was doing films in film school, I remember one of our initial projects was something we were actually shooting on film and editing it. And so we had the, the, the big flatbed editors and we were cutting on film and uh, the professor was walking around just checking out different people's projects, came by me and said, how's your project going? I said, I don't know. I'm a little nervous. And he said, well, maybe you're not an editor. And uh, he, you know, there's a lot of different <laughs> jobs in filmmaking. And so he sat there and he watched it. And the only thing he said was, as he got up, he said, maybe you are an editor. And he walked away. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, maybe I, maybe I know what I'm doing. And then 
you know, I moved out to Los Angeles and, and was also trying to direct commercials and everything. And then finally found my way in the industry through the open door of editing, started um, assistant editing. And um, one of the things that I had always wanted to do was direct sitcoms. Uh, James Burroughs, Jimmy Burroughs is one of my heroes and I'd always seen him on Cheers and other things. And so when I got into sitcoms, I said, this is my genre. This is what I love to do. I love you know, working and laughing at the same time. And so I sort of focused my attention on getting into uh, sitcoms and specifically multicam sitcoms. So I, I started working um, on some kids shows. I worked on a, a Scott Baio sitcom for Nickelodeon, then worked on some kids shows and started you know, seeing the editing through that lens, which is a completely different lens. It's all about sort of sight gags and um, running, you know, child humor and getting the timing and everything right for all of that. And then sort of made my way into more adult fare. And now um, skipping ahead, now I'm moving into, you know, where uh, network sitcoms or, you know, things like How I Met Your Father, where it is almost about the romance as much as it is about the comedy. So it's a change in you, how you see editing. But um, that's that's sort of the journey. And I guess I'm, I'm still on it. I also uh, am now directing. Um, and a uh, sm small little fun story. One of the first shows I ever directed was the Cheers uh, stage. We did a show that was on Amazing. the Cheers stage. So it's kind of come full circle right. But um, but that's a little bit about my journey and kind of the journey I'm still on, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it never it never stops. <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with that. Um, I think that's kind of part of the fun, isn't it? Uh, just kind of evolving and moving on to the next stage. It is. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a little bit more about your um, directing in in a moment, but I kind of yeah. wanted to um, ask you about your journey and. Uh, coming from, you know, you wanted, to, you knew you wanted to be an editor from, uh, I would say, an early age um, compared to many. Myself, I didn't actually know I wanted wanted to edit until my sort of mid twenties, uh, yeah. early twenties, uh, perhaps. And it sounds like you kind of had this figured out in film school, so a bit earlier than myself. Yes. And uh, so, so what I will say, I, sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say, I, that's okay. In high school, I wanted to be an architect, and. Um, when I was going off to, to undergraduate, I sort of have an, had an epiphany moment where I was like, you know, why do I want to be an architect? I love, you know, to create things, uh, but are things lasting? Like a building will last for a while, but it eventually will crumble. And so if everything is sort of transient, then why not be able to build things that connect people on an emotional level, like make people cry, make mm. people laugh? people scared, you know, those kind of things. So I think that was sort of that pivoting moment where I realized, okay, I want to get into storytelling and filmmaking, but yeah, you're right. That's really interesting. Pivot from whatever age, uh, it doesn't have to be early on in your life or it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, right when you're going to film school, you can figure that out later and make that transition whenever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting that you had that thought process. Cause that's something I speak about as well. You, you, as an editor, you have this legacy almost uh, that you leave behind and, you know, even the bad films that you, you, you regret, you know, that you look back and you think, oh, that was awful. You know, they're still there. There's still a kind of a, a, a path, if you will, like some breadcrumbs that you've left behind a trail of the history of your work, which is really, really nice because, um, uh, you know, so many jobs uh, create things that are transient and, and they're there and then gone. So it's kind of nice to have that. 
Yes. Yes. It's, it's connecting on an emotional level with other human beings, I think is what's mm -hmm. the, one of the greatest joys in what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you, do you feel like, uh, there was something that you saw through that period, a sitcom or other, a comedy show that has influenced your work and your choice to move towards sitcoms? Um, well, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I'd always, uh, found cheers, I guess was probably the iconic show that, that said, I, that's the one I want to do. And because it wasn't just about laughs, it was, I mean, there are some of those, especially the earlier years of cheers where it could just bring you to tears and you're laughing with the characters. So that's the kind of shows that I was like, those are what I want to do. Um, and, and when you get into the industry, that's when you realize, okay, there's all different kinds of shows and you don't have to work on those that, that you always want to do. You can kind of go around there. And like you said, try to find inspiration in, in certain things. And, and yeah, to this day, like I still see shows and I, my friends are editing them or, or people I don't know. And I go, I watch them and I go, wow, how did they do that? Like I, mm. I want to be sure to take what they're doing and bring it to my work. Right. Uh, that's um it, it's really nice to hear you say that and, and and quite humbling um that you're still pulling and you're still you're still pulling references and and looking at other work and seeing what you can bring into yours um because i think it's easy to kind of fall into uh complacency oh yeah absolutely i mean um I'm, I'm, I'm lucky, fortunate enough now to, to know a lot of my peers who are, you know, sitcom editors. And, um, one of my friends who's, is, you know, the top of the top, um, actually I know a lot of, them, you know, Brian Schnuckel, uh, Andy Zoll, but, uh, Pete Chakos is, uh, did all of the big bang theory and is now on a show called Bob Hart's Abishola. And I just saw him at a television Academy function and was just talking to him like, you know, about editing and finding out like the simplest things like going to a reaction. When do you go to a reaction? It's sort of like when you feel it, but, um, but you know, I watch these people's work and I go, wow, well, I wouldn't have made that choice. Why did they make that choice? It's great. You know, is, is mm. my, my choice bad or is, is there, but it's, it's that constant thing of you have to continue to watch and, and figure out what your style is and figure out mm. how to continue to improve it. Like at some point, yeah. I remember getting to a point where I realized, oh, because when, when you first started editing, you're like, uh, am I doing it right? You know, are the, are the people behind me saying, <laughs> am I doing it right? And then at some point you make that transition of, I want to do it this way. This makes me think it's good. And that's the thing that matters. And then people can have opinions on about it as well. And you can say, so you can say, well, I prefer to do it like this because of this. And they can say, oh, well, I wanted to do it like this because of this. And you come to a compromise and, and mm -hmm. it's a collaborative medium. But it's that moment of when you realize you're doing it for yourself, that's when you realize, yeah. okay, now I'm on a career. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot more fun from that point as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and that kind of brings me back to the, the Salvador Dali quote. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase cause I don't remember it exactly, but you, you know, learn the rules like a, um, like a workman or something so that you can break them like an artist. Um, and it's, it's at that point where you are then, you know, uh, working as an artist rather than following a set of rules. 
Absolutely. I, I subscribe to that wholeheartedly. I think you, you have to understand uh, the language of the, the medium. You have to understand filmic language. You know, yeah. it goes back to, you know, Isaac Stein, you know, you're putting two images together. And when you go from this image to this image, it's going to make the viewer feel something or think something. So you're making mm -hmm. those choices that are very rudimentary level to, to make a communicating piece that's built in the language of film, built in the language of video. So um, it, you get down to the, the granular level and then you get up to the, the, the big level and you go, okay, what's the entire piece about and what am I trying to uh, imbue into the audience? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, you you know, that then breaks down into smaller moments. You know, you have the overarching thought of that and then breaking it down into smaller moments and, and that's really the challenge. I, I, I want to quickly go back to something that you mentioned a couple of points ago yeah. um, and, and pick your brain a little bit about cutting to reaction. So yeah. you said that you pulled you pulled from from your friends and you admired how some of, some of your peers cut to reaction. Do you have a kind of um, I would I would say rules, but but perhaps something less rigid than rules, but like a a, a thought I, process. When... Uh, you know, um, that's a great question, and I think um, Walter Mersch, um, legendary film editor, he wrote a book about editing called In the Blink of an In the Blink of an Eye, I believe, and yeah. Uh, I hope I'm remembering it correctly, but he was he was saying that he cuts when the eye blinks. So, you know, when two people are having a conversation and one person's looking at the other and they 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 blink, it's like they're thinking about something. And that's when he says instinctively, instinctively, he cuts to the other point of view. So it, it's it's about the the connection between two characters or many different characters in in reaction shots. Or, you know, they're an art form and you realize um, that you could change the entire tone of something you're editing with different reaction shots. And especially uh, like you were talking about shiny in terms of, you know, unscripted, um, where if you're an unscripted, your reaction shots can be, you know, completely stolen from different areas because you're trying to, you know, create something that is um, emotionally based. And, and we do the same thing in scripted where we're like, the, the actor wasn't quite connecting at that moment, but in this take they were, and this reaction is better, or this reaction is slightly different. Like, wh what do we want to communicate? Are they are they hurt? Are they intrigued? Are they angry? And so those reactions help shape how the narrative is going to be perceived by the viewer. And yeah, it comes down to, you know, is it good to be on a reaction shot or is it good to be on the person talking, you know, especially working in, in multicam sitcoms, the, the general feel is you're usually on the person when they're talking. Whereas if you're on a single camera show or, or more of a drama, you have kind of more poetic license to be off of people and you're focusing on something else while you're hearing somebody talking in, in the background. And uh, so it's like the whole thing of, when do you put it, when do you use a reaction? What is it communicating and, and why are you using it? Why are you going to that person? And sometimes you cut it in there and you go, I don't know why, but it just works or the opposite. I cut it in there and it doesn't work. So we're not going to use it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so how many, um, let's, let's talk about sort of these rounds of changes if we can. Yes. Going from the, the first rough 
cut, the first cut that goes for submission. Yes. Uh, you've received the script. You're working along to the script. Uh, are you working alone in your case, or do you work with the director? No, we um, we work alone. Um, and so there's a couple of different ways, um, you know, editors work. But for, for, for my process, whenever I get the footage, I do an entire cut, you know, by myself, and I usually cut it as if it could air. Um, like I, I cut it very short. There's certain editors who say, I'm just going to do an assembly. I get the rough things in there. I know where the timings are going to be overall. And then I'll work with the directors and it gets honed down, honed down, honed down, honed down. For me, I usually say, this is what, you know, if, um, the earth was to stop right now, they could air this on online and it would be the show that we, we shot. Um, and so I get it as close as possible. And then the first step through the unions and everything is to go to the director. So the director is the next person and the, kind of the only person who gets to see the editor's cut. Then you work with the director. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times in television, the director will realize, okay, um, I'm not as key as if I was doing a film. Uh, if you're doing a film with a director, you're taking that director's vision all the way through. In television, the writers are really the visionaries. So, and sometimes you'll have many different directors of a seat in a season. And so they understand that what they did is do their best job and the, their director's cut is very minimal the minimal changes with a director's cut. So from whatever I send to the, the director, we just do a few little, little tweaks, something like, Hey, what they really wanted on the set was this two shot or what they really wanted was this person reacting like this. And so we kind of work that out and then starts the, the biggest heavy lifting, which is when we start working with the producers, which like I said, in television are the writers, um, the producers are the writers in TV. So that's when we really start shaping and uh, cutting for time, cutting for story because these guys are the ones who wrote it. These guys are the ones who had that vision and they were down on the set oftentimes with the director. Um, and so we start working on their vision. Once we finally get that heavy lifting done, then it goes on to the studio. We get notes from them. And then it goes on to the network. We get notes from them and then we finalize the, the cut. So it's, it's that long process. I guess the, the two biggest chunks are when the editor is putting together the initial cut um, cause that's mm -hmm. what shapes everything. And then when you're working with the producers to get their vision as well. And, you know, I, I always say, you know, whenever I'm putting together an edit, I make tens of thousands of a decision of decisions making this. And I have no problem mm -hmm. if somebody has a question with 24 of them or something, <laughs> you know? So yeah, that's a really, really so, fantastic philosophy. You're like, yeah. Great. I, you know, if that's all you have, that's, that's fantastic. So, um, yeah, but, great. It is, you know, in terms of especially your viewers and, and everybody, when you start to work with other people, you, you do have to check your ego at the door and you have to realize, OK, I'm putting everything that I think is great into this first cut. And then I'm, I'm a consultant. I'm a I'm a collaborator. And sometimes mm -hmm. I'm a translator, like sometimes the uh, producers or even the director will say, uh, you know what, I, I want to do this. And you almost have to think, why are they asking to do this? Because. Mm. Uh, yes, let's do that. But I have a suggestion to make it better. Or, you know what? I see what you're going for, but what about this? Does that, and they go, yes, that's, that's what really, you know, that's the core of why I'm getting to yeah. that. Point. Um, and mm. thing the with, ask behind the ask. Yes. Yes. The same thing, yeah. you know, even with, once you get down to, to the network and the studio notes, 
like I'm working on an NBC pilot right now. And um, one of the network notes was had something to do with rearranging the opening of how we were doing it. And they suggested something that um, that didn't quite work. It just it wasn't working. But I said, I, I see what you're going for. What if we did it this way? And you, you're that kind of because you're the editor. You're the one who really understands how things are going to come together. And but you don't want to discount their opinions because they're mm-hmm. people who are really on the forefront of, you know, the audience viewing it. So if they're having reactions, the audience are going to have the same reactions. But you want to be that consultant where you're like, OK, I understand how this is going to come together. And let me offer you a better solution to get to what your note is really addressing. And that's that's when mm-hmm. the. The, you know, the writers and then the studio and the network, they all go, oh, great. Thank you. That's exactly what I meant. Yeah. You know, <laughs> kind <of thing>. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and that is definitely something that comes through uh, through practice and understanding, uh, you know, uh, when you do different things, this is the this is the end result. So you can kind of, when you hear the request from the client, kind of work backwards and go, okay, if this is the result they need, then these are the things that need to happen. And these are the different, you know, it could be yeah. A, B or C. Exactly. And so do you offer just the one option if, you know, in this scenario where um, uh, the client will have a suggestion and you think actually there's a better way that we can do this, do you offer your suggestion and do it? Or do you offer two suggestions, theirs and yours um, completed and then weigh them? It's usually the latter. Yes, you definitely want to address their note and then show them also options after that. Because in, in I'll be honest, sometimes, you know, when you initially get a note, your initial reaction, because you've put it all together one way and you think this is the best way, you get a note and your initial reaction was, no, 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 no. my way's better. But if you do it and then you have an open mind, sometimes you go, "Ah, that was good. That was a good note. You know, that, that, that. Yeah. 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 So, so you have to do it. Even if you, you know, some of the ones you're like, it's not going to work. I can tell you it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Do it and you go, ah, I guess it works. It does work. <laughs> you know? It does. Yeah, yeah. That's happened to me as well. <laughs> yeah. You things. do have to humble yourself a little bit. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, re- and, you know, we work in a collaborative medium and this is important to to listen to other people and to try out their ideas. Um, some of the, the, the biggest editors I, I know, um, you know, some of them work with like Michael Bay and stuff and some of the best things that they say, because they know that, you know, Michael Bay is very visual. He does some crazy things and he'll say, he'll say, well, what about this? And the editor knows it's not going to work. But the only thing he says was, let's try it. And sure enough, you know, they try mm. it and he goes, no, nah, it didn't work. That didn't work. But it's that collaborative effort because, you know, the other mm-hmm. thing to keep in mind in terms of career is um, people want you want the way you get hired is that people want to work with you. And yeah. uh, if even if you're the most brilliant editor and tell people that their ideas are horrible, even if you're right, they're not going to want to work with you. <laughs> they want to they want to make sure exactly. that they're yeah. part of the collaborative effort and they they want to have their ideas be heard and they want to be shepherded into a a, a great piece that you're working on together but they want to make sure that that you're you're helping them rather than just kind of shooting them down and saying your way's better yeah absolutely um i wanted to speak to you about uh, an idiom which because i come from the um unscripted broadcast uh, documentary and commercial editing background so our worlds differ ever so slightly um so i wanted to speak to you about the this idiom uh, find the funny 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. T- tell me about this uh, idiom, find it funny, and um, elaborate on that a little bit more for the, yeah. for the audience. That's something I had heard a while ago, and I, I, I kind of glummed onto it, and I said, you know, that's that's really what we do is is you find the funny. And by that, I mean when when they write it, they want it to be funny. The actors are trying to make it funny, and then we're trying to shoot it. director's trying to shoot it to make it funny, and then – we're here and I'm trying to find the funny. So what was funny about that? Was it the first take? Was it the second take? Which, which is better? Is it better to have like even the reactions? I've also noticed, um, you know, another idiom that I like to say is comedy is in the reaction. Um, there's a, uh, I'll go down that road a little bit later, but but comedy is in the reaction. So it, it's like finding the funny when somebody pret falls and somebody you know, reacts to that is where the funny is usually. But I, I like to use that idiom, find the funny, because that's that's what we do in sitcoms is that we try to find the funny. Everybody's working towards the same goal and you've got all this footage and then you've got to go find it. You've got to go put it together. And sometimes it didn't work, but you've got to find a way to make it be funny and make it work. And so would that be through, um, you mentioned reactions, but are there other ways to find the funny um, or cues or editing um, uh, ways of cutting, you know, cutting timing to find the funny? Yes. And I'm glad you asked that because um, like one of the, there's like a a, a joke where, um, okay, well, I'll see if you can do it. So uh, you ask me, what the easiest thing about comedy is, I'll give you an answer. And then you ask me the same thing. What's the hardest thing about comedy? What's the easiest thing about comedy? Timing. What's the hardest thing about Timing. comedy? <laughs> so, <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's timing. And, and so it's, if, if, if you're if you have that pause, that's going to give a certain reaction. If you have it right on top of a word, that gives you a certain reaction. So it's it's trying to find some things that are are funny are when there's nothing but silence. You know, when something mm-hmm. happens and there's just a frozen character looking at the screen going like that is what people react to when, when people find funny, as opposed to sometimes it's only funny if you're right on top people's dialogue and they're talking over each other, talking over each other, building, building, building. So it's mm. and sometimes they didn't get that on the stage. So you have to create that in, in the editing, you have to pace things up. And sometimes you'll be watching things. You're like, oh, this is not funny. And why is it not funny? Because they didn't quite get it as fast as they needed to on the set or sometimes they're they're just too fast they're 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 um they're jumping on the joke they didn't give the audience enough time to laugh before they went on to the next one so we'll open it up and allow the laugh to go and then get to the next one so uh mm-hmm. it, it is all about editing helps find that funny and sometimes it's pacing sometimes it's reaction shots sometimes it's performances um, but it's it's all the different tools in the toolbox to try to help you get to what you're trying to get to, which is mm. this, which is trying to be funny. And so, if the delivery is not as funny as the writer would have hoped, yeah. and you can't fix it in the edit, would they drop it altogether, or would they keep it in and just write it out? Okay, it's not that funny, but we need it for context. 
Sometimes, all of the above. Um, if it's important okay. for the story, if it's if it's something that's communicated that's narratively needed, then then we'll find a way and and we'll put it in there. And it, sometimes that doesn't get a big enough laugh, but it's still a, a laugh in there. But if if it's something that's not funny and not needed, yes, we'll absolutely cut it. And that gets to um, you know what we have to do in television, which is. If it's a linear network, NBC, you know, any of the shows that are that are airing the traditional way, you have to get to a certain time because that's all the time allotted for you. And you have commercial breaks and everything else versus what we do, like on How I Met Your Father on Hulu, where we're streaming. So we can go any length. It, we kind of have the general feel of what a sitcom feels like, you know, 22, 23 minutes or something like that. But we don't have to hit a certain time so we can let those jokes stay in there if we want to. Um, but we can also cut them like we don't have to be a certain length. So even if we're 21, uh, if we didn't want that joke in there and didn't think it was benefiting anything, let, let's take it out. Um, whereas if you're in a linear mm -hmm. network, you realize, OK, we can't can't deliver short. So we are at, if we take something yeah. out, we're going to have to add something back in there. Hmm. And so what sort of freedoms does that offer you uh, when you are cutting without those hard deadlines? You know, how does that change the editing experience? It, um, it allows you to do kind of whatever the, the writers want you to do. So it, it allows you to be more freeing in terms of you can get to the content that is important for the story. You're not beholden to a, a time restriction at all. You can tell the story as long as you need to to tell those points. You can tell it as short as you want to if you want to get to it faster. Um, but there is also something, even though I'm saying that, there's also something comforting with a, a timer constraint because sometimes that's that's your best friend. You're like, we have to cut it down. And, and you know, faster is is usually better. So if you can tell a story in 30 seconds at a television commercial, some of those television commercials will make you cry in 30 seconds versus a drama that sometimes just never impacts you. And then it's, mm -hmm. it's trying to get down to like the essence of everything you need and not have the stuff that you don't need. So in some ways it's nicer to have saying, okay, you have to be 21, 30, and that's all you have. Um, you have to kind of kill some babies that uh, you wouldn't normally do, but then you're rising everything up to the cream of the crop. You only have the best jokes. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I, it's kind of a, two different disciplines, but you're uh, pluses and minuses for both. Yeah, absolutely. And so do you have a preference? Um, like I said, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I love yeah. the streaming, um, aspect of like, you know, what we're doing for Hulu and how I met your father, but then I also like the, the traditional, uh, network sitcoms where you have to get down to a certain time and you know that it's going to be like that with exceptions that have, sometimes they'll go like a minute long or something like that. If you, if it's a finale or something like that, um, mm. but that's commercial time that's being cut out. And, you know, it's interesting now that we're moving into the industry where, um, you are going to have commercials and act breaks within streaming services. You can subscribe to different yeah. um, things. Um, and so uh, I think we're kind of moving towards uh, having more open time frames than anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I see that shift as well. Although as an, uh, you know, from an audience perspective, uh, as a subscriber to these, streaming platforms when you pay and you also have to watch ads. Right. I have to say it's pretty frustrating. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think um, it's 
not going away. That's definitely the future, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, it is. It is. And so, uh, would you um, gonna move um, move into? Um, we touched very, very briefly on sort of uh, workflow and remote yeah. workflow, but I just kind of wanted to ask you, um, based on everything that we spoke about and and your um, your talent for for comedy editing, yeah, would your friends and your peers consider you a funny man? Um, it's funny. Uh, Lucille Ball said that she was not a funny person, but she was obviously the funniest uh, female, you know, comedian of our generation. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think I'm a funny person per se. I, I enjoy other people who are funny and I enjoy making them even funnier and, and everything else. So I would, I would say I'm not unfunny, <laughs> But <laughs> nobody's gonna I'm laughing, so <laughs> that's evident. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think most people would say that um, that I, I, I'm not somebody you want to put up on screen to watch be funny, but I'm somebody who <laughs> I, I guess um, good editors are their audience. So if you appreciate that and really enjoy that, then that's what's going to make you as a good editor because you can appreciate good comedy and good drama and and. Uh, you are the audience's first perception of it. Brilliant. Yeah, I was wondering if it's kind of like a, a pre prerequisite for comedy editing to have, you know, this this comedic sense. I, I would say no. Um, I would yeah. say yeah, I would say you know, oftentimes some of the funniest people, whenever I'm you know editing with them, they'd be like, oh, they should have said it like this, you know, and so you realize, oh, well, maybe they would have been differently, but they would have done it differently, but but you're you're stuck with these performances. So how, to, how do we, mm. how we best make these funny? So, um, I don't think you have to be, uh, funny, um, to do comedy. Um, I think you have to have appreciation of comedy to do it. And the same thing with, with drama mm -hmm. and, and, and unscripted and everything, you have to appreciate it and enjoy it and, and want to make it, uh, better. I think if you, if you're going to be the editor. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that kind of encompasses most of the human race. Um, well, <laughs> appreciating humor. I don't, I've never met a person that doesn't appreciate humor. So right. I think we're good. All all editors who are listening are thinking maybe I should get into comedy. I think you're good. You, yes. If you're human, yeah. you're good. Yes, <laughs> yes. If you can laugh, you're good. To be good. Yeah. And, and I guess, I guess in, in speaking about that, and you know, there's a huge conversation right now about AI and um, some video editors feel their jobs might be at risk because of AI. And um, I think based on exactly that, I think if you're a comedic editor, you're safe. Yes, I, I think, I think yeah, uh, I'm actually on the artificial intelligence task force for the television academy out here. And that's something that we are investigating and, and trying to find out. I mean, within the television academy, um, there are different peer groups is what we call them, um, like voiceover artists who are very concerned with how AI is going to change the industry. And they're on the forefront of like what AI can do is going to replicate what they do. And you know, I, just yesterday or, or today, Apple introduced um, the newest iOS software that you are going to be able to recreate your own voice. So uh, through your phone, once you type it in there, it'll come back to you, as if you as if you said it. And that's more mm. machine learning than artificial intelligence. But, you know, mm. technology is going to move um, whether we like it or not. And so you have to be 
moving with it in the same way that um, you know editing moved from film to the digital realm, from linear to nonlinear. Mm-hmm. Even you know we went from nonlinear, which is film, because you can move things around, and we went to linear, which is videotape, and you can't do anything; it's all linear. And then we went to nonlinear, which is digital, and you're moving it all around. So we went from nonlinear to linear to nonlinear. But the the technology changes, and now we use you know we use Avid mostly for what we do, um, and then you know Adobe Premiere and all the other software versions. But that's the technology that continues to evolve, and AI is certainly going to impact um, what we do in the industry. Are we going to lose jobs? No. Are the jobs going to be different? Maybe. And and mm-hmm. who knows what it's going to be like for for editors? But you're right. I don't think we're going to lose jobs because it's all about that human connection and making a choice of what you think is good. Um, AI is just a collection of what everyone else has thought. So it's like mm-hmm. a big focus group almost. But you're right. I think that that uh, editors are going to be able to have the human aspect of it that will still make it yeah. viable and important that they're part of the process. Absolutely. And I think humans, um, they like to work with humans because there's an element of trust. Yes. Um, and so and building, building relationships and um, AI, especially at this point anyway, is not something that you can trust the outcome. Right. Um, and there's a, um, there's a meme going around, um, which is, which is really funny. I'm going to paraphrase it now, but, um, it's, uh, it says if, um, uh, if AI is going to take our jobs, then the client needs to be able to verbalize exactly what they want. Right. So we're safe. <laughs> so we're safe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was kind of come back to the other point of like, they'll tell you what they want, but you as the video editor have to realize, okay, what do they really want? They don't really know what they want. Mm-hmm. I have to figure out what's bumping them, what their what their issue is, and come up with a solution to solve it, um, which AI would give them exactly what they wanted, which is what you do. And then they realize that's not yeah. what I want. That, that's doesn't exactly work. what I asked yeah. for. And it doesn't work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's. I'm really glad. I'm really glad that you you share my perspective on that uh, because it, it is something that um, I, I hear a lot of concern within our industry. But it's something that I feel very, very comfortable about and very excited about. So yes. it's, it's great to hear another editor who shares that share, shares that opinion. Absolutely, I, I agree with you. Um, and uh, on the other side of that coin, I, I urge everyone to to stay up on those trends and to to mm. not, not shun it. And, and embrace it because whatever happens, uh, the technology of our industry will change. Like I said, right now we're using Avid or, or any other kind of nonlinear video editing software, but artificial intelligence will come into what we do. And yeah, you do embrace absolutely. it as a tool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it, is, it's, it is exactly that. Yes. Um, and at the rate it's going, it's going to be exciting to see what even happens in the next six months. Yes, absolutely. It's changing fast. Yeah. So t- tell me a little bit. Um, I just want to touch on uh, workflow because uh, a lot of listeners are working within a commercial branded content, um, content creation, um, and perhaps with an eye to work within um, within LA, within scripted, um, or within even in within up, unscripted. Mm-hmm. But certainly 
in this kind of uh, branded content and content creation world, everything is already remote and already or it has been since um, since YouTube the day the day YouTube began. So um, you and I come from a, a background that is a bit more or was in a pre-COVID world, a pre-pandemic world, um, very much based in a studio, in an office, mm -hmm. in you would sit down, work with a director um, and or a producer or a writer, and, and you would bounce ideas and you collaborate in the same room. Uh, how has that changed post-pandemic for you in your world, in Hollywood and in, in the sitcom world? Absolutely. It's a great question. And, and you hit the nail on the head, which is, you know, things will never be the same because of the pandemic. Uh, what the pandemic did was immediately um, shut everything down. And then the tools started to have that same type of collaboration, but in a remote setting. So when we first shot, shut it down, uh, I was working on a, a show with Netflix and it became um, clear that we still had a number of, of episodes still left that, that I hadn't edited yet. And I could edit them and then we would send a cut and then I would get paper notes back or jump on a quick um, FaceTime or Zoom type thing and uh, just work like that. Then there started to become uh, a thing called Evercast, um, which is a type of software and there's other versions of it right now, like Universal calls it Millicast and things, where you can share your screen, your avid screen, and everybody can see what you're editing in real time. So you have a video component where you're with them and talking uh, about doing changes and you can do the changes and then show it immediately and they can react and you can continue to work like that. So um, it's, it's worked, it's, it's shifted, like you said, where we're now working remotely, but the tools have changed so that you still have that collaborative nature. Um, and an interesting little side story is um, on How I Met Your Mother, uh, sorry, How I Met Your Father. In season one, um, my friend was the editor and they were during the pandemic. I was on a different show. They were in the pandemic and they could not work together in the same bay. Um, and, and the showrunners, the creators of the show, um, were very hindered by that. They, and they, they still got to the, where they wanted to go, but they really wanted to be able to sit in the edit bay and, and work with them and see all the different changes immediately. So when we started up season two, um, we, they were so happy. They were so thrilled that I was going to be in the bay with them and we were able to work on that. And, um, and so they will always enjoy being with you and having that collaborative experience. But flash forward now to the show that I'm on um, for this pilot. And right now we're going through a writer strike. And so after we had shot it, um, we're going into editing and we had to, you know, not, we want to support the writers, not cross any picket lines. So we're now working remotely, but we're using tools where it's just like in the edit bay where you're very collaborative and uh, they've gotten to that stage where it's not like it was the first part of the pandemic where you were very frustrated with not being able to collaborate. Whereas now you have those type of tools where you can collaborate and it is just like they were if you're in the bay with you. So um, I think, Shiny, you're right in terms of the, the industry has changed, but the collaboration won't change. The 
it's always best to be able to have real-time interactions with the people that you're working with because it is very much a collaborative medium. But if you can use the tools that are now available, you can get to a place where it's like they were in the bay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, very well said. I know that for um, for the listeners, Evercast um, is aimed at high-end productions. Um, the cost is kind of prohibitive for yeah. the um, indie editor. Um, there are alternatives. I know NDI has a free version, which kind of does something similar. Evercast really is, you know, is the best in class. Um, yeah. But I just kind of wanted to um, make that uh, obvious to the listeners who are thinking about yeah, and, uh, using and that as part of their workflow. That's a great point. And, and yeah, I don't mean to suggest that everyone should go out and, uh, you know, buy Evercast for these products. No, of course. Um, so <laughs> the, the, I guess the, the learning there is you can use Zoom, you can use FaceTime, you can use these things that are communicating. And even if you're you know, I've had people who have worked on projects with Zoom and just sharing the screen on Zoom. Um, and that's that's very economical, but you're trying your best to, you know, get that collaborative nature, make sure that you're working with someone um, in a way that uh, they appreciate, you know, your ability to listen to them and do it, listen to them, show mm -hmm. them, do it, show them, do it. So they feel empowered and part of the creative process. And, um, to uh, your point about how the industry has changed, um, and specifically in unscripted world, um, there are a few companies out here that I have friends who work for them. And once the pandemic happened, they all kind of had to go to remote. And then many of them have said, we will no longer have physical offices. We will be remote mm. from here on out. So it's a huge cost savings. For them. They don't have to have that. And they know that the editors can work from wherever. In fact, I have friends who've you know, we, they were out here in Los Angeles and they've moved to Ohio. And so they're continuing to edit Brilliant. the same company, they're remote um, and and the company doesn't care as well. In fact, one of the other sitcom editors that I work with, um, he lives off an island off the coast of uh, Washington state. And so he's very <laughs> remote and, and they they love working with him whenever he can. And, and uh, there's really no yeah. place that you have to be specifically. Um, is it better yeah. to, to be in the same room as somebody? Sure, but as long as you can have that collaborative process through some other type of technology, yeah. that's the important part. Yeah, and so would you say that um, because obviously now location really isn't a limiting factor when it comes to the actual editing process, yes. but actually getting to that point in your career where you've built a network where people will come to you regardless of where you are, um, do you feel it is beneficiary? I'm trying to think if that's the right word. Uh, beneficiary, beneficial, beneficial uh, to grow your career in one of these media hubs like LA or New York? Yeah. I mean, London, LA, New York, those, those are, you know, hotbeds of activity and that's how you meet other people. Um, it, it's I'm not to say that you can't get it done other ways, but it, it's a lot easier if you can make those human connections in the industry that you're trying to move into, and even in the, the genre or the niche that you're trying to move into. For example, you know, unscripted or scripted, um, even within unscripted, unscripted docu-series, unscripted, um, you know, 
competition shows. These are the people that you will start to have your network in, and then they will kind of pull you along with them. In the same way that I got started in multi-camera sitcoms, those are the people who I started to work with, and I got pulled upon them, pulled with by them into that industry. So if you can be in the, a place where whatever you want to be doing is taking place, then those are the type of connections that you're going to make. Um, can you do it completely remotely? Can you make those connections? Sure. But it's it's a little bit harder because especially when you're starting out, you're you're trying to be an assistant editor or even before that, you're trying to be a post um, production assistant, post PA, and then you're working your way into being on the Avid or, or being in that realm. And then people who know you and who know you do a good job will then kind of promote you and pull you along with them. Um, mm, so yeah. it, it's, it's beneficial to be in a city where they're doing the kind of things that you want to do. Do you have to stay there? No. Can you move remotely once you've kind of started your own path and built your own reputation and have that resume? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you said that because it, it echoes my experience as well. Um, there was, so during the pandemic, I left the UK, I was living in Portugal for a period okay. and um, it was uh, a lot more difficult to network and expand and grow my career from there. And then I moved back to London last year in uh, September time. And since then I've had the opportunity, um, obviously the pandemic has passed, but uh, going to activity activities, uh, festivals, award ceremonies, you know, in a physical location with other people in the same vicinity, in the same room, um, and just having the opportunity to do these sorts of things in a media hub like London has, you know, in the six months or however long it's been since I've moved back to the UK, I've seen so much more growth than I did in that sort of one and a half year period when I was outside of the UK, away from the hub. Yeah, that makes complete sense, Shiny. I mean, you're you're making those connections because you're with them and you're you're making like a human bond because they're realizing, oh, you're great at what you do. I want to bring you along and we'll all do that. And uh, those are the connections that you kind of have to have. You can do the work from anywhere, but and maybe it's, you know, some people who want to come in and uh, make connections and then kind of go work remotely. Um, you do have to mm -hmm. build up those connections. It's a lot easier to do it in person. Yeah, that is something that I suggest to people who, because relocating, if you are living outside of these media hubs, uh, is a huge undertaking and incredibly costly. And I don't, you know, want want to be responsible for anybody making that decision to upheave their entire life and go through that um, uh, process and, and cost just to relocate to a media hub. Um, but it can be beneficial just to just to pop in for these um, networking events and these festivals and, and things like this. And that's that is another way of doing it. And uh, it's also, I mean, frankly, it's also a great way to learn because, you know, even if you know all of the, the editing tools uh, as, as much as you can, there's so much about the industry that you have to learn. So much about the workflow within a scripted or non-scripted environment of how the footage, how the media gets through from here to there. And then, you know, you have to output it and take it into finishing and mixing and, and all the other things. And if you're on a show, with other like-minded people who've already done it, then you can easily say, 
So how do I do this? How do I take this? How do I transcode? How do I move? What's what's the workflow? How are we doing this? And they can just talk to you as opposed to you having to research it and doing it and then try to convince somebody that you know how to do it because <laughs> they would be like, uh, have you done this before? You know, that's the, the great thing is once you have that resume, then you can move to, you know, Portugal and, and you can you can do yeah. move to different yeah. places and you can and work remotely because they know, oh, great. He knows how to do that. Uh, I'll just send it to him, and mm -hmm. it's always been perfect. But no one's ever going to give you that chance and, and and allow you to prove yourself if you don't have that uh, those connections and that history of absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and if anybody um, uh, is listening and who feels like they need any help with workflow, then uh, that is through Unsplice Pro, they have access to me and they can ask me any questions they have. Am I doing this correctly? Is this the most efficient way of creating this project and, and working through these? Um, so I uh, just wanted to bring that up and make everybody aware that I I I'm available to answer all of your questions. <laughs> I, I would just say I would encourage everybody to use that resource because that's a great resource that Unsplice provides. And there's going to be tons of questions. And if they can use that and come to you, that's all the better. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, Russell. Of course. Listen, I could talk to you for hours. Sure. This has been a wonderful conversation. I, uh, I, I always say um, that just reminded me when we were coming to kind of the end of this, um, I was telling uh, another showrunner a couple of weeks ago, he was like, well, we're, you know, we're done with the cut. Let's go ahead and send it onto the network. You know, who knows if it's the right thing or something. And I said, well, you know, editing is like poetry. It's never finished. It's only abandoned. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. That feels like a poem in itself. Yeah, that, that's lovely. Yeah, and it's true. Yeah, you can work, you know, you can continue to edit and, you know, you see things that you've edited in the past. You're like, oh, I would have done it differently tomorrow if I had just another chance to get back in there. And so, yeah, the, even these conversations, we could go on forever because it's just fun to talk about, you know, what we do. So thank you very much for having me. Yeah. It was a great time to just chat and chat. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. And uh, do do let us know when you finish the current series you're working on. Remind okay. me what it is you're working on at the moment. You uh, mentioned it earlier. Right now I'm on a, a pilot for NBC that'll come out in the fall. Um, but then the How I Met Your Father is about to drop the uh, second half of season two. So um, uh, on Hulu. and That's on Hulu. Yes, on Hulu. And I guess internationally it's on a different part of uh, that. But um, it's on Star, I believe, or something. But um, but yeah, everyone should okay. get into that and watch that because it's really fun. Brilliant. Look forward to watching it. Great. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Russell. I appreciate it. That was Russell Griffin. And I have to say that was also one of my favorite interviews so far on this show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Really, really great, really insightful. So thank you very much, Russell, for sharing your insight. If you are struggling at all with workflow and you'd like some help from an industry expert, then uh, come on Reach Out. I'd love to help you head to unspice.com forward slash pro because within Unspice Pro, you will get access uh, to me to ask any questions about anything, including how to start your career, get going, build a portfolio. There are tools in there to help you with every single step of the journey. And you get access to ask me any questions you have about anything, whether that's workflow, storytelling, or even comedic timing. I can help you with that. And there is specific training 
for each part of the editing process. It's the quickest way and it's also the most efficient way of getting a mentor to guide you through that entire process. So unsplice.com forward slash pro. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you next week. Cheers. Bye-bye.